It, it's the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Radio With a lot of hockey and baseball to a little BS, it's the BS Sports Show with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the BS Sports Show live on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. My name is Brendan Azoff, and joining me in just a moment is the one and only Stefan Rosner. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different as it's just one hour but there's still a lot to get into. So we're going to get right into it with the NHL playoffs and the MLB trade deadline happening today. Just a quick update, three minutes into OT in the Bruins and Lightning game. The Bruins must win to stay alive and scave off elimination. So exciting stuff here in the NHL playoffs. How's everybody doing today? So first off, if you are watching the Lightning is Bruins game, the Bruins just got on a three-on-one and Ryan Callahan made an outstanding diving play to knock that my hope right now is if the Lightning do win, which, I mean, they have Brendan Point. He's been electric in overtime. If they win, I hope it's a much-deserved goal and not a fluke goal against the Lock because we've seen fluke goals go in. Just just for more reasons, I hope it's a well-earned uh, goal there. Uh, I agree. You don't want to see a series end on a, a little bit of a fluke bounce. I know we've seen a couple of those. Uh, I go back to Chris Kunitz in Pittsburgh when he kind of flubbed the knuckle puck slap shot past Craig Anderson during Ottawa's run. Uh, it, it's a shaky goal that you don't want to see go in. You want to see a clean finish. But, I mean, this series has been really one-sided, and everybody thought Tampa and Boston, Boston, phenomenal regular season, have struggled in the bubble. They have a losing record at 5-7, and seven, and they've just been completely outmatched by Tampa Bay in almost every facet of the game. Yeah, you look at these two teams, and like you said, it should be a really close matchup. Once Rask left, and the Bruins were struggling anyway in the bubble, and that's – See, this was the problem with the time off. When hot teams are hot, they want to go out there the next day and play a game. They don't want to wait four months. And that's what happened is they were cold. They went to the playoffs yeah. cold. They didn't, really, they didn't have much to work on because they were that dominant. We've talked about this over and over again. You're playing against your own team. You don't see your weaknesses until you step onto the ice. And they've really gotten hand to them. But fortunate for them, they've gotten to the point where they are now. But they're going against a much better team. And it's, it's come down to goaltending for me. You know, Vasilevs is one of the best goalies in the league. Halak is a serviceable backup. He's been a starter in the NHL, an average solid starter. He gives you what he gives you, and he doesn't really do – doesn't make the outstanding incredible saves that other goalies make, but he, he does his job. I mean, in the playoffs, he really hasn't done. This is where goal saved above average really gets gets interesting. So Vasilevsky's goal saved above average in the playoffs is 4.37, which means he's saving almost a four and a half goals per game compared to the average goaltender. But for Halak, it's at a negative 3.31, and that means he's making – he's not even making the saves that – an average goaltender is making. He's letting in almost three and a half more goals than the other goalies. So you see there, I mean, his team has bailed him out more than not. In this game, they were trailing late, but um, they tied up late. It was a crazy, crazy score, yep. right? Tied up late, and this game's in overtime, and we'll see how this goes, but it's a do or die for Boston. They got to lock down defensively and find a way. Yeah, we, we talk about this often. When the playoffs, it's hard to outscore your defensive or goaltending deficiencies, and you got to feel for her lock because like you said, he's a veteran. He's been around the block, but coming out of a hiatus sitting and then now having to play because of a lock departure, uh, uh, Rask departure, excuse me, is a very, very tough task. And he's, he's played well, but he's also, he, he knows that there's some he could have back. Even the second goal in this game, a tip that kind of went off his blocker. It's a tough save, but it's one that you would like your goaltender to make. So the Bruins are trying to outplay him and 
even in this game, they're out shooting the lightning 39 to 21, 41 to 21, excuse me. They're completely dominating them and rightfully so they need to win this game, but you could see the Tampa Bay just hanging around and this has the feel of one of those games where the lightning are going to get outplayed, but they're going to find a way to win and just squeak past the Boston Bruins. You have an injury update, don't you? A few players left this game. Uh, yeah, Nikita Kucherov left this game after taking a Chara high stick. Uh, it was a weird-looking play. Chara went to lift his stick and just got him in the face, and that's probably the biggest stick in the NHL that you don't want to take. And and then uh, Charlie McAvoy took a big hit from behind. That No penalty on the play by Cedric Paquette. I'm not quite sure if he's returned, but as of yet, I, ha- I don't think he has. Those are two key players for both teams, no matter who advances. Both teams need those two guys in their lineup to advance to the Stanley Cup final and get past the winner of the Philadelphia Flyers and New York Islanders series. Yeah, before we move on, the goal scored in this game, at least the first two, Palat's deflection was oh, yeah. <laughs> utterly unreal. If you have not seen that, you want to talk about a shot that goes barred down. This shot, he deflects from, the, I think, the middle of the circle, and it's a beautiful shot. Halak has no chance. And then Pasternak, David Krejci, fakes the shot, fakes a slap shot, no-look pass over to Pasternak. Vasilevsky is fooled completely. Beats him, passing the big OV on that play right from that sweet spot. He did. I mean, these are again doesn't this series was a fun one to watch, even though Tampa's really been the better team. But the goals they're scoring are they're high quality goals. I mean, yeah. a few again we talked about the Halak giving up a few weak ones, but for the most part, they're well earned, and it's the beauty of hockey. Yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay has definitely played great. You talked, you mentioned Andre Pilat. Uh, just great, great series he's having so far. And that's the key that Tampa Bay has been missing in these short playoff runs that they've had and, and the failed postseasons for their standards is just different players stepping up at different times. You can't rely solely on Kucherov and solely on Stamkos when he's healthy to carry the team. And, and now you're seeing that with Palat, Sorelli gets the, the go-ahead goal that eventually got tied up by Krejci in this game. So they have different players that are stepping up. And like you mentioned, Andre Vasilevsky is a key. So we're going to go now to the other game that's happening currently. The Avalanche are up one nothing on the Stars. Also, the Avalanche need to win. Just gave off elimination. And Dallas, for a team that looked like they were on the ropes of maybe not doing anything this postseason, has come alive. And they're one win away from their second consecutive Western Conference final. 2 nothing. by the way. The Avalanche just scored again. Yeah, two goals on 15 shots. Stars have three shots in this game only. And I mean, this this game is far from over. We have yep. seen in this series the back and forth. Doesn't matter if you have a four goal lead, three goal lead. It doesn't matter. But, you know, we learned before this game that we're going to say Pavel, our man Pavel, the goalie for the Avalanche after Grubauer went down because it's just way too hard to pronounce his last name. But he is unfit to play in this game. And this puts the Avalanche in a very tough spot. Brennan, who's the guy getting the start tonight? Michael Hutchinson. Michael Hutchinson, and this is a guy that, I mean, he's done really nothing at the NHL level over the last year. He's a backup, yeah. but he's he's not a starter by any means. This guy coming into a situation, it's three nothing now. Three nothing now. Nathan oh. McKinnon. They they have they have oh, sixteen shocker. shots in the first eight minutes of this game. See, this is this is the, what the Avalanche need to do out of the gate. I'm assuming that Kadobin might be out of this game sooner than later, just to wake up Dallas. I know Ben Bishop's still I, I not. Think, I think Bishop Bishop led the Stars out for warmups. Oh, so maybe Bishop got the start. Well, that's that's not good. That's bad. Then that's not good. I'm trying to find. Uh, it's uh, I sometimes I don't know how to use a phone. Yeah, Bishop is in goal. <laughs> Well, Bishop's oh. leech is about to be cut short real quick. Not even, I mean, let's say the goals are bad. I haven't gotten a chance to watch them, but regardless, you pull him. The same way you look at the Islanders game against the Flyers in game two. Yeah. Varlamov gives up a three quick goals in the first period. Grice comes in and 
tried to after the game said, listen, Varlamov's, you know, this few months back, but I did that solely to wake the team up. So maybe that's what's going to happen for the Stars right now because clearly they are not awake with 7-28 and counting to go in the first period. I, I mean, this is a, a rampage by Colorado to start, obviously. <laughs> Three shots on goal for the Stars. It's an avalanche, Brendan. It's an avalanche. Very good. You know, I should have done that and segued with that, but I don't think as well as you do. But at the same time, you got an avalanche team that's obviously hungry, and you got to think that they're all looking around the locker room and you, your eyes tend to go towards Nathan McKinnon. He's carried this team. He's recorded a point in every single postseason game so far, which is just absurd. He had seven goals and 14 assists coming in, and I know he already has a goal in this one. So you've you got to think that they're going to rally around the fact that, listen, we're on our third string goalie, right? We're missing one of our big leaders in Eric Johnson, and our captain is – not our, not their captain, but their leader. Everyone knows Landeskog's the captain, but McKinnon's the real leader, is playing his tail off night in and night out. He's scoring. He's doing everything he can. And we've let him down in this series so far. We got to step up. And it looks like they have so far. You look at hockey, and that's what makes it such a great sport is because you can't rely on one person to do amazing things. Like you said, McKinney's got eight goals, 14 assists, 21 points. Um, that's just absurd. But it doesn't matter what he does if they don't stop a puck the other way. So I think that everyone's got to see what McKinney's doing and build off that. I mean, huge momentum right now. This is a 3 nothing game. The Avalanche cannot afford to lose this game you don't need to score more goals you really don't if you could learn how to shut down defense obviously the stars are going to get one or two when they register more than five goals five shots on goals in this game if that happens before the first period comes to an end but clearly they're playing defense and they're scoring and this avalanche team again we talked about it this was a cup bound yep. they showed it in the in the in the regular season obviously they dealt with injuries which you know you can't anticipate those but they should come away with this win and live another day yeah and it's an old hockey saying, if you got them by the throat, you got to find the jugular, step on the jugular vein. And that's what the Avalanche have to do. You can't, like you said, they don't need any more goals, but your mindset has to be, we got to get, they're, they're coming now. We got to keep going. We got to get four. We got to get five. And you got to keep amping it up because we've seen Dallas, so they could score this series. They'll, they've scored at least four goals in every game. And then their three wins, they've scored five goals. So th this is a team that right now is as hot as it gets offensively. So Colorado is going to have to get a couple more. We're going to move on to another team that's very hot offensively before we get into the Islanders. We're going to talk about the Vegas and Vancouver series because I know we have a lot to get into with the Islanders. But Mark Stone just looks otherworldly right now. He's winning puck battles. He's making a phenomenal passes. He had three assists in their game four win. Game four was a little interesting because the team that scored first in every game this series has won. But Vegas scored first. They had a 2-1 lead after one. And, and then all of a sudden, Vancouver ratcheted up a notch, and they took a 3-2 lead into the third period. And you said, you know, Vancouver looks hungry, right? They look like the better team right now. And the next thing you know, 10 minutes into the third period, it's 5-3. And it's like Vegas was playing at this level that they've been playing at. They were cruising all postseason. They have another one to get to. And if I'm looking at them in the Western Conference Final and the Stanley Cup Final, I, I think this is the team to beat right now in the NHL. I mean, before the playoffs even began, I know NHL analysts were all saying this is the most well-rounded team in the playoffs. And first off, it starts with the goaltending. Leonard's got, I'm pretty sure, two shutouts in this series. He's been great. And maybe one game where he wants a few back. But then Flurry starts yesterday. And does he give him a few goals? Yeah, he does. But guess what? His team scored for him. And then when it came down to shutting the door, he did. I remember with Tom McSpiron yesterday, he made a great pad save on a rebound. And obviously, that would have cut the lead only to one. It wasn't a make-or-break save there, but that's a huge save from a veteran who's seen his playing time cut short. This is not a guy used to riding the bench in the playoffs. He has, what, 
three Stanley Cups. Yep. I mean, this is not a guy, obviously his time got cut short in Pittsburgh, but he knows what it takes to win at the NHL level in the playoffs. And if, you know, he lets in a few goals, that's fine, but he knows how to make that big save at the big time to help this team win. He did that yesterday, Vegas wins. And it's just, when you get two goalies that you trust, obviously they have more trust in Leonard. That's why he's been playing more. But when you need, it was a back-to-back and you realize, okay, uh, Leonard's been outstanding for us, but he needs a breather. Complete confidence from Pete DeBoer to go, you know what, let's throw Flurry into the mix. And he did his job. Yep, they have a true 1A, 1B situation there. And Leonard played so well in his brief stint before the postponement and obviously during the camp that they gave him the job. And it's no slight to Marc-Andre Fleury. Fleury's a great goaltender in his own right, but Leonard's also very good right now, and there's no shootout in the playoffs. So you know he's going to be on his A game. Speaking about shootouts in the playoffs, 5 nothing Avalanche. Is it really now? 19 to three, they're being outshot. I have to assume Bishop is out of this game, but yes, it is five nothing. Wow. Uh, I, I would say this this lead's safe, but it's not. But yeah, I, I mean, mean, there is no safe lead in hockey ever. But we just said they have to get four and five, so obviously <laughs> they must have came out on fire. Like I, I wish I was watching this, but I mean, they they had to be just absolutely flying. I mean, it sounds like every time we talk and step away from talking about them, they decide, hey, we pay attention to us. We got to score again. This might be a 10 nothing game when it's all said and done. I mean, that's a statement. The Stars might have have under 10 shots on goal. Well, we are talking about a team, by the way, that won 7-1 in back-to-back games against Arizona. So they have the ability to embarrass their opponent. And that's 5 nothing in the first. It's, It's pretty embarrassing for Dallas. And they're headed to the power play. Wow. I mean, Dallas has come back from three goals down and four goals down in this postseason. So can they add five to their resume? No, they can't. <laughs> Not with three shots. <laughs> no, no, that, that's true. But, you know, going back to it, Vegas is 10-2 and two this postseason, right? They're, they're obviously the favorite to win the West. And I, I think that the way Colorado is ravaged with injuries and the way that Dallas has been inconsistent at points – I, I think this is Vegas's cleanest chance to the Stanley cup final since they made it just two years ago. And one of, one of the two teams that they could potentially be playing is the Islanders and flyers. And that series is three, one in favor of New York. Uh, the Islanders, again, just completely dominant in their defensive end, uh, a flyers team that all season could score on everybody has been shut down similar to a capital team. And we're going to get into if it's legit, if there's this and that, you know, just normal questions that you tend to ask for a team that's overperforming, such as the Islanders right now. But as an Islanders fan and somebody that's always watching them get their games, it's got to be impressive, especially when Thomas Grice steps in and does exactly what he did last night. So what I'm seeing right now from this Islander team is what we saw during the 10-game win streak, 17-game point streak. And the, the biggest similarity is they're healthy. You know, they, they go on this big point streak, Grice and Varlamov were outstanding, but they were healthy. They had Pelik. Everybody was in there. Pelik leaves. This team is flopped upside down. They look confused, demoralized. The fourth line wasn't healthy the whole year. Now you're seeing what happens when this team comes together. They're scoring goals. And Grice going and starting the game last night, I, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. deep breaths. But then you see that's not starting on the other end, and it's Elliot. And then I go, you know what? I like the matchup. Grice played well coming in to relieve Varlamov and the Islanders' overtime loss to Philly. They came back down from 3 nothing to tie it up, and they lose an overtime on a, on a bad break. But Grice proved there that if needed, he'll, he's ready, and Trotz has faith in him. 
So again, the same situation we saw with Leonard getting a break. Then you know, you know what? Varlamov with a bounce back game played well. Let's give Grice a shot. And Grice was the only reason the Islanders won game four. He stopped 36 of 38. And it was just the rebound control was great, but when it wasn't, he was there for that second, third round save. I know he robbed Claude Giroux. Trying to think when in the game it was, but he robbed Claude Giroux. That's a big save there and it a was. big moment. And you won Grice the second half of the year was terrible. Couldn't stop a beach ball. He starts seven of the team's last 27, I think. Yep. I think that's the stat we're, that's the stat we're going to go with. Seven of the last 27 because he just I was terrible. And, yeah, I mean, check me, whatever. And uh, Valma was playing. He wasn't playing amazing, but he's more consistent and got the start. And the playoffs came around. It was okay. They both had success against Florida in their careers, but Valma's played the most since then. So let's go with him. But again, it's it's just professionalism. Grice is your is a backup. He could probably start at the NHL level and have solid success, but he's a professional, and that's what you need from a guy like that. You can't, you know, if he comes into the game to fill in for Varlamov and gets shelled, you got to go with Varlamov back to back. You don't have a choice. You're not risking it in a series that can change in a matter of moments. But Grice played well, and that's the reason the Islanders now are one win away going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's such such a big thing for a fan base that hasn't seen it in. Was it 23 years, something like that? So mm-hmm. it's been a long time coming. And like you said, they, they're probably going to face Tampa. Depending on what happens tonight, it, you know, that could be a lock. Not that the Flyers Islanders series is over, but just the Islanders find a way. That's the biggest thing. It doesn't matter if they're down and out. They have, it's because their defensive structure. When you don't give up goals, like especially when Grice comes into that game, if Grice gives up one goal, that game's over. But he shuts the door. The defense played a lot better once he came into the game. You saw in the game last night, the, the Islanders did not play a good hockey game. They let a ton of shots in tight. Grice just came up big, and they had the opportunities. They scored on Elliott, who, again, Elliott's no heart. So the fact that people are saying, well, Elliott had a great year. He's going to have a, you know, he did well in the playoffs in a limited time. That's fine. But Hart, the whole series, the whole playoffs, was the reason the Flyers were having success because he makes that extra, you know, goal saved above average. If you look at it, I'm pretty sure he, he has a round of four, four something, which means he's making those extra saves that not many goalies are making. You look at Elliott, an older goalie, he's not as flimsy, as athletic as a guy like Hart. And I think that played in the Islanders' favor because they do test the goalies. It's not something they did during the regular season in the second half. In the playoffs, they've done it. And even top-notch goalies like Hart giving up four goals, you know? So I think the Islanders definitely had the opportunity to, you know, score on Elliott, and they did when it mattered the most. Yep, I completely agree. And, and I think that just because it's fresh on my mind, they, they kind of remind me of the NHL's version of the Tampa Bay Rays, right? They don't have somebody on paper besides a Matthew Barzell that's going to stand out at you, but they all do their job. They're all professional. Like you said, the two goaltenders, doesn't matter who's in net, they're pulling for the other guy. And when they're called upon, they perform. They got a great head coach, just fully structured. And, and it's, it's not fun to watch from an outside perspective. If you're the type of guy that roots for like a McDavid just to go end to end every time you're going to hate watching the Islanders. But as somebody that's a hockey fan and you just like the game, they are so structured and it's so frustrating to play against them. They just trap the neutral zone. If they score that first goal, the other team just goes, Oh God, here we go. We have to, it's already an uphill battle. Most teams go down one, nothing. You're like, all right, it's just one. You have to score one to one anyway, but against the Islanders, it's, it feels like a lot more. And you, uh, we talked about them being the best five-on-five five team in the NHL. They really might be. They're not too shabby on the penalty kill either. The power play is the one aspect they want to clean up. But and I mean, outside of the power play, now they are, which makes them even more scary. And it's just a crazy, crazy situation has unfolded where 
the time off. They came back, and you see a lot of skilled guys like a Claude Giroux in this series who has really struggled. But the Islanders who don't rely on the skill and rely on structure have thrived because they don't need to be playing every day to know where they have to be positionally on the ice. And like you said, getting Adam Pellick back, it really helps. And this team is definitely one to be reckoned with. And so I'm going to ask you, because I'm going to let you have the final word on this one. How legit is this that they've done this against the Washington Capitals and Flyers? And how do you think it would translate to the winner of the Bruins and Lightning series? Listen, the Capitals that we're used to seeing did not show up. I agree. The one thing that showed up was the consistency that Hopi is not a good goaltender this year. He has struggled mightily, and he, he made a, a couple of mistakes and bad goals in the series. And the Capitals only saw, only saw three players for them. Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Oshie. That's it. Nobody else scored. Credit the Islanders for shutting them down when need be. You look at even the Florida series, they shut down a high-octane offense. And now the Flyers, they're really not giving them a lot. And when they do, it's been on pretty much odd man rushes. And that was in one game where they just broke down defensively. They weren't as compact as they were used to seeing. They got, they got caught. They give up goals. They learn. They shut the door. Against the Lightning, they're 2-1 in the year against them. They've outscored them 11-6. But, again, this is playoffs, different animal, different atmosphere. The Lightning have been here before. The Islanders are more new to – trying to beat dominant teams. And I think it bodes well for the Islanders for the fact that they're scoring on good goaltenders. Yep. It's not, a, I mean, Hopi, Hopi was one thing. Brodsky struggled this year as well, but Brodsky even played well in the qualifiers. But now you're going against a guy like Vasilevsky, who is probably the best goalie they're going to see. But if they could find a way to score goals, I'm confident in their defensive ability. I mean, the Lightning are unreal yep. offensively. They have so many weapons, but, you know, you look at it and it goes back to the Islanders that good. The teams are playing that bad. And we've talked about this is the Capitals are have as good an offense as most teams, even compared to Tampa. I mean, when you have a guy like Ovechkin, when he's not the only threat and you have to worry about Kuznetsov, Osh, even Tom Wilson, uh, Batcham, I know he didn't play, but guys like that, it's really hard to fight them off and win a series. And the Islanders did that. So against Tampa, I'm not more, I'm more concerned with trying to find a way to beat Vasilevsky because it's going to take enclosed shots, pressure, you know, traffic in front to beat a guy. Because if he sees a puck, he's more than likely stopping it. And I think but I think the Islanders should have confidence against whoever they play because they're built for playoff hockey in the defensive system under Barry Trotz. I, I do tend to agree with you. And as much as I hate to say it, I think they are legit. But at the same time, I do think their offense is going to be tested, like you said, more than their defense in an upcoming series. Because we know they could limit the opposition's chances, but can they score against a high-quality goaltender? They proved that they could against Carter Hart, but the flyer structure has been all over the place at points in this series. So Tampa Bay, who looks like they're positionally sound right now and playing some of the best defensive hockey they've played in the postseason in a long time, can they manage to break them? Uh, before we wind up getting to this commercial break in a couple of minutes, I want to mention that the New York Rangers broke some news today. They uh, finalized a deal with a new assistant coach in Jacques Martin. He's been around a long time. This guy is a 613 wins as an NHL head coach, and he won a Jack Adams award in 1999. He most recently was the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens up to 2012 and served the last five seasons as the Pittsburgh Penguins assistant where he won two cups. So a very defensive defensive-minded coach that they bring in to coach the defense, a, a youthful group. And there's a lot of assistants rolling around this league at all the times, but somebody that has this much experience, especially coming into a young team, a young coaching staff, David Quinn's first NHL job, th this might prove to be a huge, huge addition, even bigger than any player you could possibly bring in this offseason. So I think for a Rangers perspective, getting a veteran behind the bench, 
getting somebody that can mentor the young guys, teaching Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren how to correct their mistakes at Keandre Miller also. It's going to see huge dividends come the end of the regular season towards the postseason. Stay with us. When we come back from this commercial break, we will dive into the MLB trade deadline. A huge, huge day with plenty of moves and a couple of big names going around the market. So stay with us. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the BS Sports Show. And as you guys have heard, we are going to dive into the MLB trade deadline now. There was a ton of action, especially considering that it's only a 60-game season. You weren't quite sure what the prices would be and how teams would react. And there were a lot of starting pitchers that were on the market. Some got moved, some didn't. The asking price was very high for a lot, starting with the big fish and the one that most teams were interested in acquiring, Mike Clevenger. Yeah, I mean, you look at, first off, the Padres are the biggest story in baseball. You thought going into this season it would be the Astros. Maybe the Dodgers getting Mookie Betts. Uh-uh. The San Diego Padres. First, we have Tatis with the Grand Slam and the unwritten rules. And now they, they acquire Mike Clevenger, and they gave up a lot. But this is a guy, this is, I mean, he is such a talented pitcher. He's on the year one and one with a 3.1 ERA. But last year... 13-4, 2.71 ERA, 169 Ks, and 126 innings pitch. And this San Diego Padre team, who year after year, it's it's like the Mets, honestly, but no one, obviously, we're on the East Coast. No one's no one here is really paying attention. But it's the same storyline. They get players. You know, they acquired Hosmer a, year, a few years ago, Will Myers, nothing, nothing. And now you're finally seeing this team come to life. And they're only, I think, a half game back of the Dodgers. No, no, no. They're five games back. Five yep. games back. But uh, they're 21 and 15. And obviously, the Dodgers are the Dodgers, one of the best teams in baseball. But this is a huge move by the Padres. I, I personally think that this move is going to be great for this season. But in the long haul, I, I don't quite understand it. This was a team that was 14 and 12 about uh, uh, seven or 10, ga- uh, 10 games ago, because now they're seven and three since then. And just all of a sudden, now, now they're World Series contenders. And, and they didn't just they got a great pitcher and he's going to put them on a nice little playoff run, but they're still five games back of the Dodgers. They're not, they're not close to the Dodgers yet. Granted in a series, you never know what's going to happen, but the Dodgers are a very good team and they gave their number seven prospect, nine prospect, 11 prospect. They gave away Austin Hedges and Gabriel Arias, who is their seventh prospect and Josh Naylor, who's a very good young player too. So they gave up five players in this deal. They also, made another deal earlier, which we'll get to where they gave up a couple of pieces to one of their top prospects in Taylor Trammell. So they, they have a very deep farm system, but they have parted with a lot. Now you're banking on the guys that you kept panning out and the guys that you have on your roster now being as good as they have been. But the one interesting caveat here, Mike Clevenger hasn't pitched in a long time. He, uh, he had got sent home by the Indians, had the whole clubhouse debacle. And now all of a sudden, is having to come into a playoff race. If he has two or three bad starts in a shortened season, uh, he's only going to make five starts now with the Padres. So very interesting to see how that pans out. Well, they're all in. I mean, you, you talked about how much they've given up already. They are going all in here. And like you said, this is a big move, and Clevenger hasn't pitched. He got in a lot of trouble. Now, I, I'm interested to see what his new teammates think of what happened. Do they just pay attention and go strictly, this is baseball, we're here to play? Or do you know, does he get a cold shoulder? It's going to be interesting to see how they 
bounce off the way his, you know, his actions have ha- what has happened so far this season. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see. And the, the we'll get to the Seattle deal quickly because, I mean, obviously it's relevant. Austin Nola, Austin Adams, and Dan Altavila go to San Diego. So they do replace their catcher. The Seattle Mariners, very, very interesting how they took Nola from being a minor league kind of bust to getting enough value to get Taylor Trammell, who's, who's the main attraction here. Ty France, Luis Torrens, and Andres Munoz also go there. All guys that could wind up being very impactful for the Mariners if they live up to their full potential. So San Diego, arguably the biggest, the busiest team and the biggest winners on paper right now. One other move they made, which I really like, is they get Mitch Moreland. And you would think, okay, what are they going to do with that? They have Eric Hosmer first. Remember, it's the year of the DH. Yep. This comes in, this is going to be a vital move if Mitch Moreland, you know, can play well enough because he's a lefty bat and he's come up big um, in the past, especially with the Red Sox. He's had some big at-bats. So this is an interesting move and it's a veteran as well. You know, you're on such a young team with your leader being Tatis, who is a young star in the majors. First off, they're up 4 nothing right now. Tatis had a two-run triple in this inning, but they are they are winning right now. So obviously, you know, some of these moves are already hopefully paying off for them tonight. But you just look at it as this is what the trade deadline is all about. You're going to give up a, a lot, but if it comes down to winning a championship, who really cares? You look at the Yankees a couple of years ago and the Cubs. You know, the Cubs know, you know what, we haven't won a championship, what was it, 100 and eight years, yeah. something like that, 102 years? 100 and a, something, a very, yeah. Very long time, and they parted ways with Gleyber Torres, who obviously we know as he's turned out, and then, you know, they asked the Cubs, and they go, you know what? Yes, we traded, uh, you know, a potential franchise player, but we won. Yep. Well, they won. Yes, they lose Chapman after he comes back to the Yankees. I mean, great move for the Yankees. It worked out for them, but it's about winning. Do yep. we have to do to win? doesn't matter if these prospects in 10 years, you know, or five, you know, years come up and they're dominating the league. It's well, did the Padres win with the moves they make? And we'll find out. Yeah. Another team that, you know, I just feel so bad for the Angels. It's just, they, you know, they get rid of pieces and uh, they're just never going to be good. They, yeah, that's I, it's, how it it's, seems. And the only way they're going to be good, and I really, really hate to say this, the only way they're going to be good and, you know, rebuild their farm system is trading Mike Trout, which they're not going to do because obviously the best player in baseball, but the amount of prospects they can get will 100% turn their franchise around. But you, know, you can't part ways with Trout. They, you know, they trade Tommy Lestel today. Not a big piece at all, but it just seemed like the Angels, who they bring in, doesn't ever pan out. He was an all-star last year, Tommy Lestella. So it's a very under-the-radar move for Oakland, who also get Mike Miner from the Texas Rangers. But it, you're right. The, the Angels just year in and year out on paper go, okay, this could be the year. And they, they got Rendon. Otani, oh, he's going to be healthy, and Otani immediately can't pitch. And Rendon started the year on the injured list. So another just disappointing season that, that's led to them being sellers again. And they really didn't get much from this trade, which is expected in a shortened season. But it's very interesting how teams are targeting this because the next team that we're going to get into, the Toronto Blue Jays, are still behind the Yankees. And the Yankees have struggled mightily as of late. With the 16-team postseason, the Blue Jays are in contention, and right now they would make the postseason, and they just went all out. They were the the Yankees and the Rays, the top two teams in the AL East, made no moves, and the Toronto Blue Jays just absolutely went off today. I mean, they took advantage. They went and got Robbie Ray, and I mean, Robbie Ray has not been good this year. He's one and four, the 7.84 ERA. 
Last year, he was 12-8 and eight with a 4.34. But this is a guy that the Yankees are actually looking at a couple of years ago. I think it was last year from the Diamondbacks. Well, he was on the Diamondbacks. And, you know, the Arizona gets Travis Bergen. He's a 26-year-old relief pitcher. He played 21 games with the Giants last season, 5.49 ERA. Take that as you may. But they also get uh, Tajan Walker. And he's got a career 3.91 ERA. And they also get Daniel Vogel back. He, he's batting .094 this season. I guess they just threw him here. But this well, he got th- – th- these were two separate trades because Vogelbach yeah. did get DFA. So somebody okay. that – he struggled mightily this year. And like you said, .094. But this is a guy that we've seen the pop he has. So the Blue Jays are just banking on a lefty bat. And they play the Yankees 10 times in the end of the season. And a lot of, a good amount of those games are at Yankee Stadium. A lefty bat, power bat at Yankee Stadium. We know what could happen. So I think a couple of these moves are geared towards their divisional matchup with the Yankees. And, and listen – if they can beat the Yankees the way that the Rays have so far, they're going to finish ahead of them, and they might even bump the the Yankees out of the postseason. First up, the Yankees lose eight. Before we'll get to the Subway Series um, in the last fifteen minutes, but Yankees lose again today. Cole, this is probably Cole's biggest start as a Yankee after you know three game winning streak set them on the right path against a hot Rays team. He doesn't have it early. Yankees can't hit. You know they just forgot for a little bit, yep. and they lose the game. But I mean they're. Right now, they are four and a half games back from the Rays. And if the, the Yankees keep playing the way they've been playing, you know, take away their three-game winning streak, which came in the weirdest fashion possible, crazy games. Yep. It's not looking good for them. And a team like Toronto, they played 10 times. Those are 10 big games. And they go out and get pitching, which is something they really needed. Their offense, the mm-hmm. Toronto's offense has played well. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, they're a young, offensive-driven team because their pitching is not – great but they go out and make two big moves and we'll see if it pays off against the yankees and the rest of the teams they face this season yeah and the third and final move that they made today which kind of flew under the radar was they acquired jonathan vr from miami who miami was also surprised today because they wound up being buyers and sellers and they're not above 500 they're not a great team but like we said the national league's wide open so they did acquire starling Marte and and kind of are trying to make that little push that they need maybe get a veteran guy but Jonathan VR to Toronto fills a big void that was left by Bo Bichette when he got injured. And you're talking about a guy that's a veteran that is hitting 272 this year. He, he knows how to play the field. He knows how to bring up a locker room and Toronto is extraordinarily young. So the, the big pressure of what's going to happen in the stretch run when they do play the, the big New York Yankees is going to be uh, big on and fall on his shoulders for the most part. He's going to have to look at a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the young guys that you mentioned and, and bring them up. So I do like that move. He doesn't have to produce at the same rate as a Mike Clevenger does for San Diego for that move to pan out, because we all know that once Bo Bichette gets back, he's taking over again. So not a lot of pressure on a veteran guy, just bring him into a young locker room. And, and I really, that move wasn't talked about a lot today, but I tend to like that one the most. Did you see what happened to VR today during the Met? First off, the Mets lost five to three to the Marlins in this game. I'm in the early innings. Wilson Ramos hits a flare. It's, you know, um, past second base, and VR makes a great play diving into the outfield to catch it. Gets the dugout. His manager calls him over and goes, we're pinch hitting, and you just got traded. Well, so, I saw he got removed, but I didn't see the whole part. He got removed, and they, the, uh, the, uh, his coach had the manager go, <laughs> hand on his back on great play, but uh, you're off. So, I mean, a lot of interesting moves to that. I mean, Sterling Marte, 311 batting average, two homers, 14 RBIs, goes to Miami. They're at 15 and 15 right now. And... Again, like you said, the National League's wide open. Can a guy like Starlin Marte 
help a team like that pass it. You know, back in 2017, he was suspended 80 games for PEDs. Obviously, we're past that now a couple of years down the road, but he's a good player, and he yes. took a lot of slack for the suspension. Obviously, when people consider, well, you, you can't obviously be good if you took PEDs. That's why he took it. It doesn't make you good. It, the yeah. PEDs don't make you a great player. They enhance it a little bit, but he's still a talented individual, and we'll see if he helps this Marlins team to make the playoffs. I agree, and he's not one of those people that's going to rely on power. You don't like power hitters can vary year to year. Marte is consistent. He, he's not going to blow you away with his power numbers, but he's going to hit for average. He's going to come through against left-handed pitching, and he's a very, very solid outfielder as well. So a key addition there, and honestly, it might just be enough. Like you said, they had two. They they played the Mets well today. They beat Degrom. So that's something that most people can't do. And they're crawling into this, the playoff race. They started off hotter than everybody thought, especially after the COVID uh, hit that they took. And it's honestly crazy that we could talk about the Miami Marlins and might be in the playoffs. And, and that's not, I mean, we're, they're 30 games in they're halfway through the season. They could be in the playoffs. So very, very intriguing to see how all that plans out. And the last move was the Chicago Cubs getting Andrew Chaffin from the Arizona Diamondbacks, just to boost their bullpen a little bit, nothing major there, but uh, it wasn't a huge, huge deadline, but definitely a lot of intriguing pieces were added to a couple of teams who have big aspirations. I mean, the Yankees stayed quiet. The Astros stayed quiet. I mean, there are top teams that decided, you know what, let's not do it. The Yankees, you know, pitching has been a problem. Hitting well, hitting has been a big problem over the last two weeks their bullpen has been terrible but they're diminished completely yeah. so their guys are stepping into different holes you saw chad green struggle immensely against the mets but then he comes back and dominance so he's wishy-washy there but you look at it and it's just lancelin is probably the next best pitcher available on texas after minor left and clevenger's gone but the yankees had lancelin he wasn't terrible he wasn't great but i don't think that's a guy that the yankees would want to go after anyway so I think it was smart for them to stay and just hope for, you know, all, all the Yankees need to do is hope that everyone comes back healthy. And obviously that's not going to happen because the Yankees luck. It's just never going to happen. But they're, they're having a problem right now scoring. They're having a problem on all facets of the game besides fielding. We haven't yep. seen that many errors. I mean, there was a big error by Voight uh, yesterday. But besides that, it's been really getting runs for their pitchers because their bullpen's coming in. This is a bullpen that's usually lights out. One of the best in baseball. There, the offense is giving them zero leeway. And we could dive into now the Subway Series, what, what happened this week in the last 10 minutes. But you look at the Yankees, and they were on a seven-game skid. I think if I heard correctly, they were talking about it. The Yankees haven't lost eight or more games. I think they've done it like three times in their existence where they lost eight or more games in a row. They haven't done it in a quarter century, they said. And every other team has done it at least once. Yeah. Just on that was on steps. the Yes Network. Yeah. Yes, yes. Michael K. or one of the – one of those goons said it, but um, you look at it and they were outscored 37 to 19 on that seven game streak, uh, losing streak. They only scored 2.7 runs a game. Yeah, that, that stood that, out to me. That's just not going to cut it. For, I mean, this is the Yankees we're talking about. And yes, they don't have their key hitters, but they got good hitters still in this lineup. And a lot of people weren't producing. We'll get to what Gary Sanchez finally did, but Brendan, if you want to just get into the crazy subway series that we saw, cause it was, yep. it was crazy with, you're on your, I mean, it was just unreal baseball and not in a good way at all. No, it, it was, it was fun to watch from a fan perspective, but absolutely miserable play. You could tell these are two teams that were struggling, but the, before I dive completely into, it, I want to say this, I think that every year as a Yankees fan, you see the next man up, right? And the last two years it's worked perfectly. 
I really believe that the lack of fans and the lack of passion in the stadium has hurt the Yankees this season. They don't have the, the guys like Talkman and, and Andor when they're coming back, they don't have the fans cheering and rallying them, around them. And I think it's just, they're all relying on themselves and their inability to get that passion has shown through. But the, the Yankees finally won a game after dropping the first two. The, the first two games of the Subway Series looked like it would be how you expected a Yankees-Mets game to go. The Yankees got out in front early. They held the lead for the majority of the game. They looked like the better team. But in both situations, the bullpen came in and blew it. The first one was Chad Green. The second one, Adam Adovino. And just like that, the Yankees had lost seven in a row. And everything looked bleak. And that kind of carried into the uh, the game three, in which the Yankees managed to win on a walk-off wild pitch, courtesy of their former teammate, Dylan Batances. But the first two games were, were not how you would have drawn it up for Boone. He kind of got his whole script going, and then just like that, it imploded right in his face. And the way that they their bullpen had been pitching up to that point, you kind of don't want to make some of the moves that he did. But that that's talk for a different show. We're, we're short on time this week. Yeah, I mean, thank you, Betances, because yep. that was great. But then the Yankees did one of the most Yankee things we've seen in a while that's usually something they do is they come from behind and never quit attitude and they were down seven to two yes going into the well it was a it was a double header so it was only seven innings so they were in the bottom of the, or excuse me it was a top no, of the seven, bottom right bottom, the bottom they, they were home the first game yeah yeah so bottom and you know they weren't getting big hits from really anybody and diaz is in there so this is a prime opportunity to do damage and they cut the lead, you know, it's seven to, what is it, seven to four at that point? Seven, three? Seven, uh, four, right before the Yes. And it and was then, seven, four, and then a wild pitch. Yeah. And, yeah. But Aaron Hicks, this is a guy that looks completely lost to the plate. Got a beautiful pitch and demolished it to the short porch in right field, which, you know, you, you played it where you are. And he gets the Yankees tied in this game. And that was definitely his biggest hit of the season this year and I don't, I don't know what you could say this team never gave up and it looked like they weren't going to win this game there was yeah. really bad play but they find a way to do it and they you know they go to extras and they win the game yeah and, and Gio Rochella who spent a little bit a uh, couple of days off with an elbow uh, injury bone spurs I think it was came through and got a big hit and you could see a weight get off their shoulders and then they came back in the, the second game and they struggled again <laughs> it was almost like 40 minutes ago, they didn't have that big rush and big lift, but luckily Gary Sanchez, who has struggled mightily, came through in the extra innings again with a monster grand slam, an absolute mammoth home run, and it looked like that would wake him up. And uh, I mean, th there's been signs of life, this whole entire losing streak and down spell where it looks like they're starting to click, and then they just come out and put a dud like they did today against Tampa. And, and even something as simple as Aaron Hicks gets that huge hit huge two-run home run an absolute bullet wasn't that high but it was a line drive that you know carried and next game two two calf cramps right I, I mean I, I've one is enough two uh, and then he doesn't play today because they want to give him a day off and he gets a pinch hit single in the ninth inning but it's just stuff like that it, this guy finally got a huge hit and just like that he's taking a day off because he he doesn't feel right and it's just been that kind of year. But like you said, no moves at the deadline. They're playing to sneak into the postseason. They don't have to be a top seed anymore, especially if the postseason's in a bubble. And they just want to go sneak in, get all their guys back, and, and ride that wave. 
And they probably will find a way to sneak in. I mean, this is still the Yankees. They will get healthier. Hopefully, the season goes on. You said Hicks. I have no idea how he had kept. I don't know how that even happened. He was in the yeah. batter's box. It must have happened earlier. He seemed to, you know, he drew a lot of attention to it, and he gets taken out, whatever you want to call it. But one of the bright spots for the Yankees is the play of Debbie Garcia in his MLB debut. Six innings, zero earned runs. They, they score one run, but again, it was an error. Six Ks, and the funniest thing was Kratz catching him. And Debbie Garcia is 21. Kratz is 40. I think it's the oldest catcher to pitcher debut yep. ever. And it was so funny. They're walking out for warm-ups for that game. And Kratz goes, I'm going to catch with my son. <laughs> and they said they've known each other. You know, they pitched with each other when the Kratz was in the minors and they had that in an alternate site. And Debbie Garcia said in post game, he said, yeah, he calls me his son. I call him my dad. And it's just a great relationship. After he comes out of that game, he doesn't get the win, obviously, because the Yankees blow it. But you saw Kratz go up there and give him a huge hug and yep. say how proud he was, like a father should in that moment. It was awesome to see and a real bright spot for a Yankees team that's really had dark times over the last two weeks. And and that bright spot makes every Yankee fan, you know, scratch their head a little bit and say, why hasn't he or Clark Schmidt been called up sooner? And I know Clark Schmidt's on the 40-man roster and you got the guys like, oh, you don't want to DFA somebody. I call it BS because they're going to have to DFA Kratz probably when Higashioka comes back and you got all this type of issues that are going to come up no matter what. So you might as well have the best guys playing. And Debbie Garcia was on the 40-man roster, so he should have been up already, especially with how they've struggled. But the, the, you did have Hap and you did have Garcia, who were two bright spots at pitching-wise this week, which they've needed because, like you said, Cole's now starting to struggle a little bit, and he looks a little human. And that's a very expensive bad start today for the Yankees. Well, I think the, it's alarming now that uh, that Cole's giving up the home runs because, you know, you could say that he's, uh, you know, going after hitters. That's why he's giving up home runs. He trusts in his stuff, and that's all great and all. But yes, I remember – now you're playing at Yankee Stadium, and you can't pitch like that. We've seen other pitchers try to do just that with overpower Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray had filthy stuff when he came to the Yankees, yep. and I don't know if it was just a lack of confidence because of the crowd, the atmosphere, which it probably was, or the fact that he really had faith to hit his targets, and he just wasn't. Like, Garrett Cole was not – they were hitting so many shots hard, not even the home runs, base hit after base hit. And it's just – a a little concerning because he's a very competitive person and he was, you know, his fastball is his prime thing. He's got a wicked fastball and he's just not hitting his targets. But I get before, I want to give Kratz a lot of credit for what he's done in the absence because he's come up with some solid hits when need be lays down bunt. You know, he does, well, he tried to lay down a bunt and Batanza's over through it, but he put the pressure on. And I, you know, a guy like that who's forward, who knows that he's not going to be a Yankee much longer, more than likely. He's still going out there every day trying to be the best person he could be for this young team and Debbie Garcia was the perfect thing. And it's just guys like that. You really, it's like Ross on Chicago Cubs before he retired. That, that's such a leader and such an important piece to a locker room, especially with the Yankees who have seen guys like Terra Estrada come up young guys, you know, for getting more at bats, um, Floreal coming up. You need an older veteran like that to lead this team, especially when you're top players. Cause you, you know, they can lead from the dugout, but that's all they can do. So you see a guy that's Kratz, 40, going out there and giving it all he's got at his age, knowing that his future is not really there. It's it's awesome to see. It really is. And another guy who's older is Robinson Cano on the Mets' perspective. And, I mean, 369, five home runs, 16 RBIs. We saw him hit an absolute monster home run against the Yankees. And it was the prototypical smooth Robinson Cano swing to right field. And, I mean, he just hasn't lost a step. He's been the better player in the Edwin Diaz trade that was centered around Edwin Diaz, which is kind of ironic. 
Yeah, clearly, like evidently, especially this year. And, and the Mets offense didn't look great, even though they've had good years. Most of them, Dom Smith and Robinson Gano stood out. I think their pitching didn't look that bad either. But again, it's the Yankees team that's struggling. And that's that's seven two lead that got blown. Uh, really, I think it's just an absolute backbreaking loss and one that in the long run could be the reason why they don't wind up sneaking into a postseason, especially when the National League is is as bad as it is. Well, the Mets learned that it's never safe to put Diaz in, ever. Like, it should be illegal to pitch him on most nights because it doesn't matter where you put him. You clearly just can't get the job done. Yet the Mets can have a 30-run lead, and you put Diaz in, my bets are that he's going to blow it. It's really sad to see. We have a minute left, so quick update. 5 nothing, Avalanche with 13-37 and counting to go in the second period. And we are still in the over. We're in the second overtime with 11:39 and counting. 2-2, Bruins Lightning. Bruins with 47 shots on goal. Lightning with 32. This is a fun one. So definitely after we get off, put it on because, I mean, if, if I'm gonna guess anything, points gonna get the win for the Lightning. They're gonna move on. That would be the second time in the last the series that they'll win on an overtime goal. So it's yep. been it's been a fun hour, but I know we you know two hours a lot more fun. But you know, get your last yes, point here. And I just want to say, guys, if you don't already, go to our Twitter, BS underscore sports show, or on Facebook at The BS Sports Show, and check out our shop. We've uploaded some merch. It's on Teespring. we got a couple of BS Sports Show shirts, as well as other designs for hockey and baseball fans. So be sure to check it out and, and let us know what you think. And if you have any ideas, please shoot them our way. And like Stefan said, this has been a fun hour. Next week, we'll get back to two. We had some personal conflict schedules come up this week, but... <laughs> It has been really fun talking and huge day in baseball with the MLB trade deadline. So thanks guys for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. It, it, it's the worldwide sports radio network. Radio network.